And here we go. So let's do it, sir. Everybody, welcome back to Freelance Can I Really Make It? Another episode, another Tuesday at noon. I'm glad you guys are here with me. I do appreciate your support. This time, I actually have a guest. You don't have to listen to me on the mic alone. I have somebody very special with me, Mr. Adam Rosen. Adam Rosen is an entrepreneur that loves to support business owners and share his roller coaster startup journey to help those on a similar path. As a founder of a tech startup, Adam spent five years leading a college recruiting startup that was acquired in 2019 by a leading college marketing firm. On the side, he is a paid speaker and has coached hundreds of startup and small business owners. His primary focus is on helping startups get more sales appointments hassle-free through his lead generation business, Email Outreach Company. Adam also enjoys sharing stories from his journey and learning from others on their own unique path through his podcast, The Rise with Scriz and Adam. Everybody listening, all my supporters, please help me welcome Adam Rosen to the show. My man, Adam, good to talk to you again, man. My man, it's great to talk to you, and I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to chat. Hey, absolutely. Um, If I sound any different from the last time we chatted, uh, I'm in Vegas, man, and the weather here does what it wants to do when it wants to do it. And yeah, right now it's tearing my sinuses apart, man. I'm, I'm not sick, you know, knock on wood, thank God. But uh, yeah, my sinuses are a little stuffy. So if I sound a little different, that's the only reason why. But how's the weather on your end? How you doing on, on that side of town? Good. I, right now, uh, as I was sharing last time we spoke, I, I've been bounced around the world and that's kind of how we want to spend my whole 2022. And right now I'm fortunate to be uh, in Hawaii and hmm. it's uh, the weather's definitely been pretty nice over here. So I come from New York in the Northeast where it's snowing, it's cold, right. and no one wants to the house. <laughs> For me, I'm very lucky right now that it's 82 and sunny every single day. So uh, I can't complain. That's awesome, man. Uh, um, last week, well, in the middle of this week, it started off in the fifties and now we're at 80, but my neighbor told me we're going to be looking at some rain on the weekend. So it, the weather's all over the place, man. <laughs> so you, you've got it good right now. So, um, I know you're a super, super, super busy man and I don't want to keep you long. So if you don't mind, we could just get right to it. Let's roll. Okay. So when we chatted on the phone, we were talking about like my, my whole purpose of this podcast is to either help people get out of their nine to fives or while they're working their nine to fives still, uh, work towards being self-employed. And you told me that you actually hadn't had a nine to five, only an internship, which I find is amazing. And I wish part of me wishes I could have done it that way. But at the same time, I do appreciate the nine to five to let me know that a nine to five is not what I want, but how did you get started and how did you land on coaching startups of all businesses? How, how did you land on coaching startup businesses? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's interesting. So for me, I, uh, in college, I was very lucky. I did a couple of internships with baseball teams. I was a sport management major. Hmm. So I did an internship with the Phillies and then I did an internship with the minor league baseball team where I was living in New York. And, uh, it was at that time where I realized F this, I don't want to be in sports. <laughs> And, uh, the main reason why was like, my goal was always to be like a GM of a baseball team or a basketball team. That was always my goal. But I did this internship with a minor league baseball team. And I was like, screw this. Like, I remember I had to, I, I was hungry, right? I was working 12, 13 hour days on game days, mm. not getting paid. Oh, and I was like, can I go get some foods? So they're like, yeah, go grab, go grab a hot dog. So I go grab a hot dog. And when I come back with it, they're like, make sure that you pay for that hot dog, like a dollar 25 hot dog. <sighs> 
Like, wow. all right, I'm working like a dog. I'm driving 45 minutes each way to come here, and you got to make me pay for this hot dog. So at that point, I was like, screw this. This ain't right for me. Uh, I was taking an entrepreneurship class my junior year. They were starting an entrepreneur program. They needed a student to run that program. I did that for a year. My senior year, it went well. They offered me an opportunity to get a one-year MBA, work for the school, continue leading that program. Hmm. So I did that for a year. That's where I met my business partners, started my first company. And then, as they say, the uh, the rest was history. But I kind of just stumbled into it. Really? So, uh, well, well, is it everything that you went through um, with the and working for baseball and doing the internships and the, uh, the business classes, the MBA classes, is, is that what made you decide to do uh, like coach startups to, I guess, help deter people from going the route that you went? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I love working with people. I love coaching people, but I specifically love working with people that are motivated and driven. And I found that entrepreneurs, you know, these are people I, I always say, I believe startup uh, startup owners, small business owners, just entrepreneurs in general, I believe they're the heartbeat of America mm. because the amount of sh- stuff that they go through, I won't curse. I appreciate it. To build the business is so much more difficult than a more traditional path. So I give them so much credit. So I love working with them. And because of my own startup journey where I went through about every uh, low that you could possibly have a building a business, it, it's made me love coaching and working with startups, but it's something that, frankly, I, I only do on the side. So oh. I, it's a passion of mine. I love doing it, but it's not something that I want to spend all my time on. I love building things. Mm-hmm. And then on the side, I love supporting entrepreneurs to help them grow their business. But it's something that I probably only spend about 10% of my time focused on. Okay. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned you love building things. And um, you say, you say, well, in your bio, you were a founder of a tech startup, actually a leading college recruitment startup that was ultimately acquired by a leading college marketing firm in 2019. Why did you let that startup go? And was it your ultimate goal to build it and sell it? Or were you approached by that firm and they were, they just made you an offer that you couldn't refuse? Yeah, great question. So, I mean, we started the company. I was only 22, 23 years old. We started the company three weeks before I was graduating with my MBA. So I was, I would say I was a pup. Like I was a pup. I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. I was a young kid who uh, had these big goals, big aspirations. I remember our first meeting and we did the company for about a year before we raised any money. Okay. I call it like our R&D project before we started our official tech company. But I remember when we were raising money from our main investor at the time, uh, I went in there being like billionaire bust. I want to take this company IPO, like no intent on selling it because I was a pup. I didn't realize what was ahead of me. Mm-hmm. So no, I, I didn't start the company thinking that I would ever sell it. Uh, we sold it frankly out of necessity where uh, we were acquired. Yes. But I always tell people when people hear a startup was acquired, they assume that you made a boatload of money and yes, I'm in Hawaii now, but it's not like I'm retired in Hawaii, not working, not doing things. <laughs> You know, so it's not like it was that at the acquisition. Okay, you know, I, I'll I'll admit I'm I'm one of those who thinks that when you sell a company, you the money's just coming in and you're just sitting fat, sitting on a pile of money like Scrooge McDuck. You know, like life is good. Yep. And I've often like me and my brother, we discuss business ideas all the time, and we want to make business. But I'll be completely honest with you: if I had it my way, I would make a business, sell it, and just be done with it. But I I mean, uh, basically what you're saying is that's not necessarily what happens. So as a follow-up question, when you sell a business, you do you sell it as is, or are you still involved on the back end? Do you receive residuals or do you just let it go? And that's just the deal. Mm -hmm. Great question. So for me, my scenario is different than others. There's, you could do it in in any way. Sometimes you get, usually when you get acquired, 
that a company typically wants you to stay on for a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. They want you to stay on for as long as possible to continue building it. The entrepreneur tends to want to stay as short as possible so they can build their next thing. Right. So it's a give and take. For us, we owed a little bit of time to continue working with their startup, with the company. I, I love their their founders. I love their team. So I worked with them uh, for, for quite a while, about a year part-time on a consulting basis. Uh, now, every once in a while, I'll, I'll, I'll you know pick up the phone and help them in any ways that I can. Um, but very loosely involved now. Uh, but the reason I stayed involved longer than you know I even had to was because they have an amazing team, great people, and I wanted to see them succeed as much as possible. So you say you stayed on uh, to consult. It, it, did the business that acquired you ask you to consult because they bought you blindly and you, they needed you to teach them how to keep the business alive? Or um, like you said, you were just still building, so they wanted to go and grow with you before they let you go? Or before you walked away? Yeah, I, I think they, they probably saw value in, in me being there. And, and, you know, I was leading the company for five years and doing a lot in the sales side and on the operation side and managing tech. So uh, there was certainly value probably in having me there as long as possible. Um, so, yeah, it was just they, they probably saw value in me being there and I saw value in, in helping them, too. So it was just a good mutual relationship. OK, cool. Yeah. You know, I'm learning as you're, you're, you're talking here. So it's not just for my audience. This is for me, too. And I appreciate you sharing this information, man. This is good to know. Um, yeah, I'll give you a quick anecdote, too, about a, a company that's much bigger that we probably have all heard of. And everyone can look it up because I think it's a fascinating story. When I teach entrepreneurship classes, I always sh- uh, share this because, like we talked about earlier, you think with an acquisition, the founders must have got rich. But so much of it is about how you raise money, how much equity you gave up, et cetera. So I'm sure a lot of your audience has heard of the company FanDuel. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't know exactly where the lawsuit is right now, but their company was uh, acquired, I believe it was for about $600 million, quite a bit of money. Wow. The founders, though, if you look it up, made either nothing or next to nothing. And a lot of that was because of how they raised money. They were valued at much higher than that amount. Then when they sold the company, they were valued much lower than that. So depending on how you raise money and when you raise money and from who you raise money, uh, you have to be very, very, very careful as an entrepreneur. So I'd encourage anyone to look up the FanDuel founder story. Uh, Again, I don't know where that lawsuit ended up, but imagine selling your company for over half a billion dollars. And then ending up with either nothing or next to nothing. Oh my God, that is that is enlightening and heartbreaking at the same time. Because again, I'm thinking if I started a company and it's doing okay, and I sell it, give me the money, my life is good, everything, you know. And you know that also goes to what we were talking about on the phone before we did this podcast, talking about how people try to put a a like star spangled glasses on when they hear that you're an entrepreneur. They just think you're just just money's just coming out of nowhere. So for you to say a company as big as FanDuel ended up with little, I mean, close to nothing after selling themselves, that's an eye opener for especially somebody small like me that's still trying to rise and grow my business. Yeah, you always, I always uh, warn entrepreneurs, it's not that it's bad to raise money. There's businesses where you need to raise money and it's smart to raise money and you should raise money. But raising money too many times, I see entrepreneurs think of that as the end game, mm-hmm. as that's the win. No, that, that could be a milestone that you need to get to in order to get to your win. But raising money is not the win. And sometimes if you don't do it in a smart way, if you do it too early, if you do it with the wrong investors, it can set you back so much further and can even just crush your startup right from the beginning. So it's so important that entrepreneurs get that mentorship before they jump into raising money because it might not be necessary and there might be smarter ways to raise the capital as well. Hmm. Man, that is, that is good, good 
good information to know. And I appreciate you sharing that. Um, with my naivety, I guess, for example, the show Shark Tank, I hate that show because I mean, I mean, I don't want to bash the show, but I hate that the sharks all want to acquire all the businesses and just take all the profit, like the, the 51 49 split. You know, I had a, mm-hmm. uh, I had an old, uh, coworker when I used to work in the nine to five world and he was trying to work his way out and he had a business up and running and he came across a entrepreneur that unfortunately was a fast talker and talked him into a 51 49 split, not realizing when you gave up that 51%, you gave up total control and he basically lost everything, everything that he built from the ground. He, absolutely lost it because of that lack of information, lack of education. Yeah, it's unfortunately stuff that happens far too often. And a lot of times as entrepreneurs, especially either young entrepreneurs or inexperienced entrepreneurs, it's easy to get the wool pulled over our eyes. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to uh, you know, listen to other people, have mentors that have been there, done that, that can share those horror stories. And that's why for me, whenever I talk to entrepreneurs, I try to not sugarcoat anything mm-hmm. because if I sugarcoat things, like I think I might've said it to you when we were talking the other day, one of my biggest beefs with the startup world is everything is sunshine and rainbows, which that doesn't add any value. Like you ask an, an, an entrepreneur start, Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's great. We're growing. Everything's good. Meanwhile, the freaking house is burning out behind them. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's crazy. No, no, let's be honest. No, it ain't. And that's okay. But I feel like it's, we need to have those conversations with entrepreneurs. If we don't, all we're doing is doing them a disservice and doing us a disservice as well. Right. And, you know, I try to be as completely honest um, when I'm on my podcast, when I talk, if even if it's just me, I, I like to share horror stories that I've gone through because I want people to know that don't just think because you see me working from home that I'm sitting around eating popcorn with my feet up and life is yep. good because these horror stories, they can actually break you if you're not prepared for them. But I also talk about ways to way, uh, uh, bring yourself back out of that bad situation and keep on going. But before I move on to another question, I wanted to ask you, I wanted to say that, um, talking about businesses and startups and whatnot, I tend to be, and this is for lack of a better word, I tend to be pessimistic when starting a business only because when you start a business, of course, it's going to be good. Of course, it's going to make money. That's where your mind is. But I like to think of what can go wrong so that whenever something goes wrong, I'm prepared for it. Like expect the worst or, or ex- hope for the best, but expect the worst, you know, something like that, just to be prepared. And my biggest fear in any business venture that I've ever tried is the fall. Because the rise is easy. You're, you're always chasing money. You're on the rise. You're hungry. You're hungry. What happens when your business peaks and then you start to fall? Is it, it, You can almost not recover when your business starts to fall. You know, that's my biggest fear in doing this. Well, one of my uh, favorite quotes I used to have it read on my office board right behind me. It's uh, perseverance and spirit have done wonders in all ages. So perseverance and spirit have done wonders in all ages. And George Washington said that. Uh, you know, back in 1776. Yeah. And uh, what I love about that is, to your point, entrepreneurship, it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows. It's not all going to be the rise. And that's why I give entrepreneurs so much credit because there's highs, but there's lows. And you have to be able to hold those lows and also stay even keeled. Because, you know, if you have a team, and stuff is going wrong. You can't bring those things that are going wrong, maybe in your home or maybe in your business to your team. Right. They're looking at you as the leader. So if the, if the ship is sinking or there is a fire burning in the back, you got to be able to put it out without worrying your troops. Absolutely. Um, so I, 
that's why I, I, I agree with what you're saying in the core of, hey, you got to be able, you got to have, have some thick skin and you got to be able to handle a lot of those loads that are just naturally going to come with starting a business. Yeah. You know, my last episode that aired yesterday, matter of fact, I was talking about um, how to deal with angry customers. Like, don't take it personal. They're upset mm-hmm. with the process, but it's not you in particular. So if the client or customer that you're dealing with gets angry with something that's going on, don't put your dukes up and start fighting back because you could lose that client. And, you know, I think when you get like five star ratings and all that stuff is all good, but it could take one, one negative rating that could just dismantle all the five stars because people are going to go towards that negative and see like everybody's praising this guy. But what happened on this negative side? And that one negative could just completely derail everything that you're building. Yeah, everyone's true colors come out in times of pain and difficulty. Mm. It's easy for everyone to be happy and cheering and positive and optimistic when things are going good, but true colors come out when you know what is hitting the fan. Yeah. And uh, that's why it's so important to have people that you trust. And I hear it all the time with entrepreneurs, a lot of startup uh, friends that have had nightmare stories with their co-founders, partners, investors, um, because when stuff hits the fan, people show their true colors or some of the you know, bright spots come out then too. So that's what, but you can only learn that through experience. Right. You can only learn stuff that's actually happening. Yeah. I, I have a friend, I won't mention her business yet because she's still building the foundation right now, but she's actually going through that with her partners right now. And she's, she called me and she's like, why did I even pick up a partner? And I'm, you know, and it's inviting when you have somebody coming to you, enthusiastic, wants to join your team and get you going and they, they see money, money, money. But with you being the founder, they don't see what you're dealing with. They only see the the other end of the rainbow, but they don't see the road travel. And that's the problem. So yeah, I, I absolutely get it. And uh I, I want people to understand that, you know, and it's not to scare people into not doing this, because if that be the case, nobody would be an entrepreneur. Nobody would have a business. So you can actually get out of here on the good side of things and not, you know, necessarily just die in quicksand. But I do want to mention that it could be some quicksand in the road. So with that being said, Start talking about businesses doing well. Dude, I read up on your uh, EOCworks.com and your client list is beyond inspiring, dude. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Your, your client list, it's it's mind blowing. So, I mean, we're talking about Amazon, B of A, eBay, Under Armour, to say the least. The list goes on. How did that company, EOCworks.com, how did that come about and how long has it been up and running? Yeah, great question. So first to clarify things. So that client list, those were, so our business really simply is we send out cold emails on behalf of our companies to get more sales appointments with the goal of them getting a sale. Hmm. So those companies were all clients of my previous tech startup door of clubs that we all got through cold email outreach because hmm. everyone always says email doesn't work. No one responds to it. But yes, that's how we got all of those great customers. And we're doing it for our, for our customers through eocworks.com today. So, but that business came all out of just, uh, I'd say a side hustle. So one of the big things that me and my business partner talk about is we want our product to drag us. We don't want to drag the product. And what we mean by that is like with door of clubs, my tech startup, you could not work any harder than we worked. Like when I say this, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. It was legit seven days a week. It was for a long stretch. It was Monday through Saturday, 6am to 8pm in the Uh. office. Sunday we got in late around 9am till 6, 7pm. And the reason I say this, because we could not have tried any harder and in so many ways failed any harder too. (laughs) Um, So now moving forward, we want to make sure that the product is so good 
that it's like, hey, Adam, hey, Pranam, who's my business partner? Mm-hmm. Dude, this is so good. You guys got to run towards this. Like, this is, this is the real deal. And over the past few years, I've tried out many different things and the product didn't drag us. But anyway, I was talking to one of the startups that I've been advising for the last few years and he wanted me to talk to their head of sales at the time uh, and figure out how they can get more sales meetings. And I talked to her and I found out they were getting no sales meetings, maybe one a month through cold outreach. So I said to their founder, I said, hey, I could do this for you if you want. And uh, he said, sure. So me and my business partner built something out for him. Uh, it went well. We got a second customer, third customer, et cetera, et cetera. And now that we've seen we have a, not only 100% retention, mm. but people that are paying us more and more money each month, we're like, all right, now it's time to, to take this thing more seriously and turn it into a real business. So it started as a side hustle and now it's been dragging us and we've been doing it for about, we started it, I think last July, so about eight months ago. And now we're just starting to say, all right, let's pour some gasoline on the fire and let's take this thing to another level. Oh man, that is amazing. Is, is, so if, if I'm getting, getting you correctly, is it similar to like MailChimp? Uh, in a, in a way, but this is more cold email outreach. So for example, uh, you know, let's say our, our startups want to get in touch with people in talent acquisition at Fortune 1000 companies. Mm-hmm. We get a list of people in talent acquisition at Fortune 1000 companies. We email on their behalf. So we pretend to be them. We use a software. We email out. And then when, when someone wants to talk to one of our startups that works for us, we just book the meeting on their calendar. They take the call and they hopefully make the sale. Nice. That is awesome, man. That is really, really, really cool. That is cool. I got to throw a round of applause in there for that one, man. That is awesome. All right. So Adam, um, I know you're a busy man, like I said in the beginning, and I know you have to get your day going and as I do mine, but I have something important to ask you. What I do on my show, like I said, I like to tell the real stories, not just the good, but the bad, like what really happens and how you get your way out of it. So if you've experienced one or two or whatever, can you share a horror story that nearly broke you, that almost made you want to quit, but you still found your way out of it? Yeah, it's an important question, a great question. There's about 30 stories that come in my head, but I'll share <laughs> one that is usually like the most eye-opening because I, I hear a lot, if someone's a co-founder, they you can't fire a co-founder, right? That's a pretty, a lot of people that I talk to, they think that if you're a founder, then you're just in the company forever. Hmm. Uh, but that's not true. There was a time where we technically, within my tech startup, had five founding team members. So we had five founders technically. And it was really one of three of us that really started the company in the early stages. And uh, there was a time where we had to make the difficult decision to let go of one of those uh, founders. And uh, basically things started to get a little bit ugly and there was some threatens of, of taking as much of the company as possible um, through legal action. And basically I was making one of my first trips to Hawaii to see my father. I, it was my first vacation I had taken in however many years working like a dog. I was excited to just take like a week, two weeks off and enjoy time in the sun. And it was right when I landed in Hawaii, I get an email from my business partner with basically the threat of legal action. Um, and basically all of our advice was, Hey, this person is right. And you're going to have to give up pretty much all of the company to this individual, or you're going to have to pay them a heck of a lot of money that we didn't have in order to just get rid of them within the company. But, well, I I hate to interject, but when you have a partnership, isn't it equally divided? So with it being equally divided, that one individual can't take control of other individuals' um, percentages. 
So there's a, there's a, uh, without getting too much in the weeds, but when you, uh, there's something called your equity vesting. So when you raise money, typically your vesting schedule is four years. So as an entrepreneur, let's say that, let's say I had 20% of my company after we raised money. Let's say that I individually had 20%. After one year, I have 20% of my company. I, I, I'm sorry, I get 5% out of my 20% vests. So I get a quarter of my equity now is mine. I've earned that equity. Mm. After two years, you get 50% of it. After three years, you get 75% of it. And then after four years, you get your full equity. So then if something were to happen, you at least have, no matter what, you have your 20% equity in the company, mm-hmm. which of course could be diluted after time. This was about a year and a half into the company. So they were said, they, they were told that they would be able to keep, they were to vest all 100% of their equity. When me and my other co-founder had only vested maybe half of our equity. Mm. So basically we we're going to have to work our, you know, what's off for the next X amount of years to make this person a lot of money. Or we could just, you know, buy them out and it would all be taken care of for an insane amount of money. Wow. Wow. Long story short, after all of our advice that, you know, it is what it is and it just sucks, guys. That's part of having a startup and, you know, it's too too bad. We ended up being actually, we ended up actually being correct about it and the situation was remedied and we were able to move on and everybody was happy. Everybody was able to kind of move on their own direction and we still have a good relationship with that individual uh, who's doing very well, all that good stuff. But uh, there was definitely a time where I was talking to my co-founder and I was like, you know what? You know what? This, I'm done. Like, <laughs> it's not worth it. Why are we going to do this for, what, what's the point at this right. point? Right. Uh, situation got, uh, you know, got rectified and we went to, uh, we had the company for about three more years after that, learned a million great lessons and all worked out for the best for everybody. But it definitely was a, a, a tough situation. And probably the one time I was like, I'm ready to wave the right flag and move on. Yeah, but cooler heads prevailed. Yeah, man. Cooler heads prevailed. Absolutely. That, that is awesome. Yeah, I, I had a, a couple of startups. One of my very first businesses, well, I'll say maybe 15 years ago now. Wow. Um, one of my very first was a promotion company, and we called it Fast Life Online. And it was just about the fast life. Like if you're clubbing, if you're racing, motorbikes, skateboards, whatever it was, whatever that fast life was for you, we would try to promote that on our website, individual businesses, skateboard shops, uh, nightclubs, especially nightclubs. That was big for us. Um, and I had, uh, two business partners and we were all completely brand new to being in business. We just wanted to not work for anybody else. So we went in there blind. We just dove right in as most people do their first time out. But the, what happened is, my first partner, he was the one that came up with the idea and he was the idea, man. I mean, everything he thought of was gold. I mean, whatever idea, he just wake up in the morning. He's like, I got it. I'm like, oh, dude, that is awesome. And then I was the mouthpiece. I mean, you know, I got a podcast. I talk. So <laughs> I was the one in there talking to everybody doing the negotiations. And then I had another business partner who went to business school. But with his inexperience, he was li- literally reading from the book, like all businesses fail within five years. So he, instead of trying to move us forward, he was just waiting for us to fail because the book said we need to fail. Like he didn't understand that failures come and go as you go through businesses. But he was literally reading line for line like we have to fail first before we move, not realizing that the failure is a lesson. You know, he just thought fail. And then all of a sudden the next venture would be good. And that's like, no, man. So, yeah. So we ended up uh butting heads because the 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 guy who came up with the ideas, he wanted to be in the clubs like we were the owners. 
popping bottles and stuff like that. And I'm like, dude, we're broke. Every dollar that I'm sitting here negotiating for, we need to put back into the business to grow. And then I had to deal with my other partner who's kept on telling me we're going to fail. We're going to fail. We're going to fail. And then I started to realize I'm the only one here working doing all the work and you guys are sitting there trying to be Hollywood acting like we're superstars when we have zero capital and we ended up going our separate ways. And, um, you know, I, I found, I found my way into photography and then they moved on with other business ventures ideas that they had because he was the idea man. And, but he didn't know how to execute. And that was the problem. He didn't know how to execute the idea. He'll come up with a good one. If he was smart enough, he could actually sell his ideas to other companies, but he didn't do that. But ultimately, cooler heads didn't prevail in my situation. And that sucked because we were cool as friends, but I guess that's what they say. Don't do business with friends. I mean, I'm on the fence with that because I've done business with friends that actually worked out because we know how to separate the two. Whereas with me and the guys that I did my business venture with the first time around didn't work out so well. Yeah, well, you learn the, the the true colors, and it's not a good or a bad thing. It's just about do we fit together as as partners. And mm-hmm. you know, with mine, I'm very lucky because we went through all that together. One of my business partners from that company, he's like a brother to me. We do a lot of our traveling together. We're starting. We have these businesses together, and we have such a great trust and relationship because I know that if something happens, you're gonna be by my side, and you know if something happens, I'm gonna be by your side. I ain't running. I'm not gonna go anywhere else. I'm not gonna. You, you see people's true colors when stuff hits the fan. And that's why me and that one business partner are closer than ever. Um, even though it didn't work out with the other partners, me and him were side by side because we were able to go through that together and see what our true colors were. Yeah. And no, no ego involved, you know? So, and, 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 you know, again, with my last, that one venture, because the guy went to school, he had the ego. Like I graduated from business class. So you got to listen to me. And then the other guy, I'm the business idea guy. So you got to listen to me. So, you know, it was just too many egos that just didn't, the gears didn't fit in line. So, but it was a lesson. I never considered a failure, only a failure if you quit, but if you keep on moving, it's just a lesson and you make sure you, you uh, avoid that the next time you make a business venture. So, well, Adam, man, I, I absolutely, absolutely appreciate you coming on the show, reaching out to me, getting together and doing this, but I cannot let you go before you tell everybody how to reach you, man. Tell tell everybody about whatever business that you have that's on the rise now, how to reach you, where to listen to your podcast, all that good stuff, please. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Like I shared with you, I lo- love the work that you're doing. I think it's so important in uh, working with freelancers, entrepreneurs, people that want to be entrepreneurs and, and sharing the truth of the journey, which I think is so missing. So I appreciate the work that you're doing. So thank you, thank you for that. And thank you for having me on here. And uh, yeah, if anyone wants to reach me, I'm most active on Instagram. You can find me at Adam I. Rosen. Uh, if you want to check out my lead generation business, it's eocworks.com. And then my podcast, you can find through my Instagram at Adam I. Rosen, and it's called The Rise with Scriz and Adam. Uh, but if anyone wants to connect, always, uh, always like to meet interesting entrepreneurs. So feel free to reach out. And uh, yeah, but thanks again for having me on, Ahmed. It was a lot of fun chatting with you. Hey, bro, I appreciate you, man. More than you know, I appreciate you, man. Thank you, and enjoy that good weather out there in Hawaii. All right, man. Nice talk with you. We'll, we'll chat soon, all right? Absolutely. All right, bro. All right, see ya.